Good evening, and welcome to Cinema Death Cult, the eulogy for the death of motion pictures and podcast form. I'm your host, Adam Bolger, and tonight I will be discussing the 1983 Frank Oz and Jim Henson-directed fantasy film, The Dark Crystal. Up front, quick warning to fans of the movie The Dark Crystal. Um, I don't really like this movie that much, but probably more importantly than my opinion on the film itself is the fact that most of the this discussion is not going to be about the the movie. A lot of it's going to be about conspiracy theories and Satanists and uh, ritual blood sacrifices and mind control and um, seances uh, and harvesting adrenochrome, uh, global elite cabal, QAnon, Pizzagate, um, past lives, and shimsham gobbledygook. Uh, so... If you're a big fan of Dark Crystal, you know you you might want to go look someplace else. All right, but also if um, but if also if you're a conspiracy theorist, if you're a QAnon uh, folk guy, person, lady, and now you're excited because I said all that stuff before, uh, you're also gonna be disappointed uh, because I don't really believe in most of it. I mean, um, I don't believe in it. <laughs> I'm not. I don't, I don't think QAnon is real. And I'm going to be pretty frank about that. I do think that some some things that may be defined as conspiracy theories, I do believe are really true. And I think that there are aspects of truth uh, within uh, the QAnon weirdo stuff. But I think it's all a bunch of garbledygook weirdo stuff. So um, if you're a QAnon person, you're probably going to get mad at me. Which is cool. Which is cool that you're mad at me. Because, you know, it's like it's fun to be mad at people. And it's like, you know... I would love to be part of a global cabal of elites. That would be dope. Because, um, like, uh, I got credit card debt. And so, yeah, I feel like those kind of connections, that ability to network would be awesome. So I think if enough people maybe accuse me of being part of a global um, cabal of Satanists and elites uh, who are harvesting adrenochrome, that, then may, enough people say that, then, you know, it's like maybe that'll manifest itself into reality somehow. Like, they'll hear it it'll be around the water cooler at the cabal. Oh, hey, have you heard about this Adam Bolger fella? Yeah, he's part of the group. No, I no, I've heard about him. All right, well, we gotta invite him to our, our next uh, little St. James um, orgy of blood or whatever the fuck it's gonna be. All right, so I know. Wow, what an intro for uh, what's what most people consider to be a children's film. All right, anyway, well, that's probably a good place to start. It's not a children's film. All right, Jim Henson was like kind of. He was an artiste. He was following a vision. He had a muse. And he, this was not a movie he made for children. This is a movie he made because he had an artistic vision. And he didn't really have, like, you know, um, he wasn't canny in the sense he didn't really have an audience in mind. He wasn't like, oh, boy, the kids are going to love this movie. I'm not saying this because, like, Jim Henson's my best friend or I read a book about him of any insider knowledge. Uh, I'm saying this because I've watched the movie. All right. So he watched this movie. And the thing that'll trip you up is Jim Henson, you know, his presence in this movie, right? Well, two things. First, let's focus on Jim Henson, all right? So, obviously, he's public television man, smiling old Jim Henson, whose voice is Kermit the Frog. 
if you see an interview with him, he talks like Kermit the Frog, and that's because it's his real voice, all right? So Sesame Street, The Muppets, uh, Fraggle Rock, um, like a million shows that everybody, everybody like uh, a certain age group and up has seen. Kid culture that everybody knows, right? And I'm also going to sort of set myself up for some stuff. I don't really love most of it, even like The Muppet Show and The Muppet Movies. I don't, I don't really love I'm kind of thankful for the Muppet Babies because that came along when I was a kid and I hated it so much. And I was sort of like, found it so cringy that uh, it made me stop watching cartoons on Saturday mornings, which is nice. Nice that something did that. So thank you, Jim Henson. So the thing I'll trip you up is the association with Jim Henson, first of all, making things a kid, make you think Dark Crystal is a kid's movie. Secondly, uh, it's all puppets and we associate puppets with kids' movies. There you go, you know. And I guess to a certain extent, there's some kid-ish imagery. I think, you know, even though it was like this vision that Jim Henson had and he wasn't really like, hey, I'm making a movie for kids, you know, I think that he couldn't help but put this this kind of kiddie imagery, this stuff that harkens, that we associate with kid-friendly stuff into his movies, into this movie rather. And, you know, it totally makes sense. It's like he had been doing... Sesame Street, I think, for 20 years before he made The Dark Crystal, but in 1983. But anyway, on to the genesis of this episode. So if I don't like this movie, and I'm barely going to talk about it, why am, I, why am I talking about this movie now? Because of Blind Item Gossip. I'm a huge fan of Blind Item Gossip because I find it to be highly entertaining, number one. And because I am a journalist, so I have a sort of insider information. Um, I have a sort of insider information about how the news works very often and so a lot of times like things are they get lawyered to death as Seymour Hirsch put it um so you know you have like someone like the LA Times or the New York Times or Washington Post or or whoever and they have some bombshell story and you know just like they're you know in capitalism they are under pressure of money uh so they can be lawsuited you know they could be sued out of existence or sued out of profitability and so if you have some huge public, uh, private rather, institution, and they're up to some kind of malfeasance and uh, some kind of journalistic thing, a journalistic entity wants to report on them, you got to, you know, often it's going to be like a battle of lawyers. And it's like, can you prove this? And then you get lawyers in a room and people get, and people get scared at the higher level and those things will get reported. And... Um, and that does happen with kind of frequently, like there was a story, uh, a story that ended up, I think in uh, the Atlantic about, um, Brian, uh, what the fuck is his name? The, the director, the X-Men guy, Brian something. I want to say Brian Ferry, but I love Brian Ferry. It's not him. He's innocent. Thank good. Thank goodness. But, um, Brian, whatever the director of the X-Men movies, you can do Google that later. Uh, so there's a story that got killed. It was these two journalists who been working on like how he was a serial sex predator for years, and they had like mountains of evidence, and you know, they'd interview all these people, and it just kept it wouldn't go. They wouldn't run it in one publication, then another, then another, and then finally it ended up, you know, the Atlantic, you know, which is a great magazine, whatever national magazine, and um, it ruined the guy's career. He was run out of Hollywood, and he's done, which is great. He had already directed that movie Bohemian Rhapsody, which won an Oscar, but you know. He wasn't going to work again. So when they do the, the, the sequel to the Queen movie, he can't do it. Or when they make X-Men 25 or whatever it is, he can't do it. All right, so the way to circumvent that with all these this lawyer stuff is you can do a blind item. You can do this gossip thing. So you can, um, by not saying this guy's name, you can report on it. Be like, yeah, this, you know, so-and-so, an A-list director of uh, comic book movies, 
has, is a serial sex predator. You know, and he can do that and do that and do that. And gossip sites that had actually been doing that for years about him and about other serial sex predators. I think like Harvey Weinstein. I think he was another target of that stuff. Uh, so you can create this kind of... Uh, you can report the story without it, without a lawyer coming up to you and destroying it. Um, and, and you don't say the name. You don't say the name. But then also so you get some anonymous... Uh, this is beautiful about the internet. You get anonymous commenters, you know, come on and they're going to, and they're going to dead name people. And then the lawyer is going to be like, well, you know, this is a conspiracy between you and these people. It's like, no, I've never met them. You know how the internet operates, you know, how internet commentators operate, you know, people are just out there guessing. So if I'm going to insinuate that Harvey Weinstein was a, uh, you know, sexual, uh, what do you call it? Sex pest is a rapist. Uh, I can do that by saying, by calling him a, a movie mogul or a movie producer. All right. And then it gets out there. So I think that there's a value of, of strong, immediate value to um, blind items and they shouldn't be discounted. I don't think you should just say, uh, I don't think you just say like, well, you know, you don't, you don't name your sources or whatever. Don't get in a huff about it, you know, because then what you're really doing is protecting powerful people who are doing bad stuff. And most publishers are so afraid of their uh, of their bottom line because you know profits are so thin in the media media business. So they're just going to back down if there's any kind of whatever. I've overexplained this point. Here we go. There's a blind item this week <laughs> on the on the website Crazy Days and Nights um, by Enti Enti Lawyer, an anonymous entertainment lawyer in uh, Hollywood, California. And he revealed um, a he's he revealed the the blind that the blind that ran on July fifteenth, twenty twenty. I'll put the link in the show notes, but I'll just read you the blind item now. He would sucker you in with the shows and the wholesome image, but it was the movies that he showed his true vision. He was a list and was a director, and a head of a studio, and a behind the scenes performer. With his television shows, he made parents feel like it was safe to take kids to see his movies, even when they seemed like they be might be a little bit too much. There is a prequel streaming right now to one of his biggest visions. He made a movie decades ago that encompassed something he believed and always thought if he could get kids to watch it, that he could somehow control them. The movie is essentially about mind control, rituals, and blood sacrifice disguised as a children's movie. He said he wanted to make these kind of movies so kids would get used to these ideas and think of them as normal later in life. And this was revealed this week to be... Jim Henson, Dark Crystal, and Labyrinth. All right, so uh, a quick note on crazydaysandnights.net and NT Lawyer. So th- this guy's been doing this blind item gossip thing forever, and I've been reading it forever, and like since, I don't know, 20 years um, at least, and like since the days of Gawker. Gawker used to like, you know, report on his stuff. But now uh, it's gotten even, his site's gotten even crazier and, and more readable in the past like three or four years. So he started going hard into like kind of conspiracy edge stuff or QAnon adjacent stuff. Like, again, I'm not a QAnon person. I think QAnon is fucking ridiculous and stupid, but it does sort of, there's QAnon adjacent stuff that is real. And, you know, when, 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 by that, I mean, um, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, I think that QAnon is like, a a weird, uh, way of processing Jeffrey Epstein, and, you know, where Jeffrey Epstein really did have this gl- murky global uh, network of elites that were, um, and he really was indicted on sex crimes. I mean, he was, 
you know, he's accused of uh, molestation by dozens of girls. And, you know, and we don't know necessarily if, like, we know that he was definitely in the company of people like, um, like Bill Clinton and uh, Donald Trump and uh, Kevin Spacey and, uh, you know, whoever. But, like, we, we don't know if he was necessarily, like, uh, supplying them with, you know, sex. He wasn't, like, sex trafficking to these elites. But he was probably giving them access to some kind of weird sex stuff. And it was all this very shady, you know, real, like, really disheartening activity with a known with a known criminal, with a known sex criminal, and he should, you know, uh, people of the highest offices of the land, you know, Harvard University. Like, that's all true. I guess all, we should all accept that as true. Like, that's all stuff that happened. I mean, the QAnon stuff, it gets weird when it, <laughs> there, and, you know, it's, it goes into, like, David Icke territory, where it's like, these are lizard people that are trying to extract uh, adrenochrome from people uh, in order to live forever, and there, and it's every time they extract adrenochrome, it's uh, to kill whatever. They kill people and sacrifices, and they're all Satanists and all that stuff. That's where it gets weird and stupid. I mean, entertaining, really fun to engage with. I mean, you know, you can kind of like read a lot of it. I mean, I've I've read some of that stuff, and it's like. Uh, I don't believe it at all, but I think it's kind of fun to, you know, every once in a while dive into it. I mean, then I kind of, sometimes I regret it later. I'm like, well, why, why do I have this in my fucking head? Who cares? Like adrenochrome, whatever. <laughs> so, all right. So anyway, so yeah, so he has sort of, um, one of the key things about these, all these weird overheated conspiracy theories that it sort of showed up on NT's Crazy Days and Nights site. Um, is this idea that like all these global pedophile elite stuff, it's all hidden in plain sight, you know? So you have like the Wayfair conspiracy theory where if you buy a, a set of cabinets from, from Wayfair's website, that it's really not just cabinets, it's a million dollars and you're really trafficking children. And the idea is that, you know, um, people, like that you're this, this global cabal is like a second away from us at all times. So it's not just like, the, it's not just like some weird remote island um, or Bill Clinton or whoever on a jet, you know, flying around Europe or whatever. Uh, it's happening in Iowa City you know, or it's happening in like uh, North Carolina suburbs, like, you know, and, I, and I'm laughing because it's um, I'm laughing because it's preposterous, you know, that you're, it's just people being scared. Like it's it's that's how we're processing being powerless to. Uh, the Jeffrey Epstein conspiracy, like just, the, you know, you know, the you know, what harm he did to these young women and uh, just how powerless you feel to stop that or, you know, you don't know how to react to it. So instead you're like, and, and create this conspiracy theory. Uh, well, you know, it's a way of like making it, it's a way of dealing with it. And I, I, you know, it's, I don't think it's a healthy one, but it's, you know, it's what happens. And so that also dovetails another strand of conspiracy theory, which is like mind control and elites kind of using media to condition the populace to be docile and complacent, um, which is, again, not, again, sort of has like, if there's a real component to it, um, in the sense that, you know, there is mass media and there is a mass media agenda 
and you know you, there's a there's what's called an overton window for things that, you know i love politics but you know but there are things that you can talk about on tv and things you can't like you don't really like see a lot of people advocating for you see very few people advocating for communism on television like even like you know, people say like MSNBC is this very left-leaning um, television program, but it's very—it's really like centrist Democrats, and they are really, you know, they—they're really angry and leftist all the time, and you know, you have, just like there's a there's a limited range of debate on television, and there is an interest in you know um, keeping up the status quo and and marketing products and getting people to feel you know buy things through you know. Through anxiety, you know, that's what happens in, you know, in advertising and marketing, you know, like you're, you're, you're somehow deficient. And if you buy this product, you're going to, that's going to help, you know, everybody knows this and that's all true or, you know, people suspect it, but it's obvious when you think about it, you know, you're a bad parent because your, your kitchen floors are dirty and that, and we can, if you get the right mop, you know, you won't be awful anymore. (laughs) <laughs> whatever and so yeah that does happen but it, we it's not mind control it's not hypnosis and it's not hypnosis like we're trying to get people to become um get you know uh zombies so that way the somebody's going to harvest all our adrenochrome it's that uh you know we're just, they want us to be complacent consumers who aren't gonna you know uh try out for a new new deal or whatever um and so I have notes here. This is crazy. It's like the third time I've tried to record this. I thought this was going to be easy. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, so after, so I read that blind item and I watched The Dark Crystal. I actually watched it twice. I watched two different versions of it. And after watching The Dark Crystal, do I think this blind item is crazy and deranged and wrong? Yes, but also no. Not entirely. There's a lot of weird stuff in it, and it can seem, and there's a lot of weird stuff in it, and by it, I mean The Dark Crystal. It's a weird movie, and it can seem pretty sinister if you want it to seem sinister. If you decide that this is a sinister-seeming movie, it'll seem scary and weird and creepy, and <laughs> you'll fill in a lot of blanks, and it'll all seem pretty reasonable, point by point. And if you also have this, set it against this backdrop of, you know, QAnon, Pizzagate, Pedogate shit... Uh, then <laughs> once you put it into that, that context, it's, it, it seems like it should be there, but it's, but, um, I think most of that really arises out of coincidence and sort of incompetent, uh, or just not fully thought out storytelling and filmmaking. Uh, but before we get there, let's talk about conspiracy theories. Okay. So I'm going to read from, uh, <laughs> A Reddit post I found in our conspiracy. Um, Again, I'll link this in the show notes. And I'm just going to read this as is. The punctuation is weird. And the first word is all in caps. Two exclamation points. Adrenochrome. Here's a clip from The Dark Crystal. Tells me this is not what the elites are doing. This movie has to be some kind of hidden message. Jim Henson, creator of Muppets, made it about elite race of lizard slash bird people who rule over race of human-like beings. Also, uh, oh yeah, okay, so that was the post, and it's confusing, the syntax and whatever. Uh, on, and there are more like that. That was the one I liked the most. There's also, I found a post on a subreddit about debunking uh, QAnon theories. It's called a Q cult or something like that. And they were saying that, like, boomer parents on Facebook uh, have been posting about the new Netflix sequel to Dark Crystal, which is called, like, Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, I think. Uh, Which is not bad, actually. I watched the first two episodes. It's pretty good. It's better than the original movie. 
And so all that boomer QAnon anxiety from uh, about uh, uh, the Dark Crystal focuses on this idea of how the ruling elite are, are harvesting our life essences. And there's like scenes in the movie and in the TV show about uh, the ruling elite. They're like these monsters that extract their slaves like life forces and so you know if it all right so just just a quick thing on that scene so it's like there are these little guys that are like uh little troll guys they kind of have like feature lists they all kind of look the same call like podlings they're enslaved by this evil bird lizard <laughs> race called the skexies right and the skexies are in control of the dark crystal and the dark crystal is like this corrupted uh, magic object, right? And and it has some kind of magic powers. And so, I, I, it's not really clear in the in the movie. Like people act like this is really clear in the movie, but it's not. And I, I'm I'm gonna dive into this more later. But this movie, it doesn't make a ton of sense. And this is part of why it's so fertile it's such fertile grounds for conspiracy theory stuff i'm also going to talk more about why it's fertile grounds for conspiracy theory stuff in a minute but there's this seed right where um this little podling guy they put him on like this um this chair and they strap him down it's like in clockwork orange like the not the ninth thing where they keep his eyes open so they do that to this little podling guy's a little puppet he's cute there's like a face like a potato and they make him watch the dark crystal as the crystal shines out light and then um, his life force is extracted, turns into a little clear liquid that gets this, the evil monster scientist puts into a beaker. And um, he, oh yeah, so he kind of turns, like his, you can see him kind of fading away, like looks skinnier and older and more wrinkled up and whatever. The light goes out of his eyes. And uh, all the other podlings that are in the castle look like him. And so I guess, the, you know, the the, re, the inference that we're got, we're supposed to make is in, in the audience is that this happens a lot. And then they extract the formula and they give it to um, the emperor of the bad guys, the bad monsters. And uh, the guy drinks it and he like kind of looks younger for a second, but then it doesn't work. And this is this this scene <laughs> and this scene alone uh, really seems to be animating people. Okay, well, I guess there's also other scenes of a similar nature in the TV show because that's streaming on Netflix. You know, people are watching that and it's more in people's minds. So this, but that concept of draining a life force, it's really animating QAnon people. All right, so there's that. Now, I don't want to put any ideas in anybody's heads here, but watching the original Dark Crystal, I noticed a lot of like kind of design elements that seemed really rife for like Pizzagate, QAnon stuff. Like, so the warring mystical forces, there are two warring mystical forces in this movie. We'll talk about them more in a second, but they both use magical symbols. They both involve triangles and swirls that are, simil that are similar to symbols that are supposedly used by pedophiles. So like they, one document that has been shared a lot was something, I saw it on WikiLeaks, all right? But I don't know if that's where it originated from. It was supposed to be this FBI document. But watching this movie, I'm like, oh, hey, that looks like that symbol from that document. And I was expecting there to be a bunch of like feverish websites and web postings about that idea. But I mean, the movie predates this this FBI document by about 20 or 25 years easily. And it was certainly a coincidence. When you want to have like simple and primitive looking symbols, you end up with a lot of like circles and spirals and swirling stuff and triangles. You know, looks somebody in a cave with a stick would have conceived of and then would be connected to the earth or whatever. But now the people respond so feverishly when they, when they spot this stuff, the symbols 
I'd imagine they could take on some importance, but I don't know. Oh, I did see, oh yeah, there was one thing about how this is related, it's adjacent. And the bad guy, the bad monster house, their castle, this, they have a triangle shaped skylight and then the sun and the stars shine through it. That's a circle. So it's like a circle and a triangle, which is like a Illuminati, you know, like the dollar bill, the eye of the dollar bill, a little bit of a reach, but Okay, here's the other thing. Another reason, another original reason why this movie is fertile ground for you know, just suspicion by QAnon types. Right? So they make a weird misstep in the movie, the film creators. Though when they are laying out the movie's moral landscape, right? So the movie was made, it came out in 1983, so they're probably making it, conceived of it, and really put it all together in like the late 70s, early 80s. And this is right after the release of Star Wars, right? And so they're trying to, they're clearly trying to rehash the Star Wars uh, moral universe, you know, the moral conflict of like, so you have the Force and you have the light side of the Force versus the dark side of the Force, you know, like in Star Wars. And it's like a simple moral thing, but it's like good versus bad, like good wizards versus bad wizards. But so they're trying to replicate this. It seems like they're almost certainly trying to replicate that idea in the Dark Crystal. Um, but I th think they messed it up. So in Star Wars, it's really easy to tell good Jedis and bad Jedis. The good ones, like, well, the, you only see one, or you see two good ones. You see, like, uh, Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and they wear white colored clothes, and they seem, like, nice. They kind of talk in, like, these platitudes. And what are they doing? They're, they're going to go rescue a princess against the odds from like an evil castle. They're good guys in a fairy tale. It's easy to tell. It's easy to tell they're the good ones, you know, and we, you don't really have to think about it too hard. And it's hard to argue against that. <laughs> it's hard to argue against the idea. They're like, they're the good, the good guys, right? Because the bad Jedis are Darth Vader. It's the only one you've seen the first movie. Because this movie came out when, when Dark Crystal came out, I think it came out the same year as Return of the Jedi. It's the only... Star Wars that existed was Star Wars, the first one, right? So the only Jedi we meet, uh, the only Jedi that existed at that point in the universe were, um, you know, Luke Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Darth Vader. Um, so, you know, Darth, Darth Vader is the bad one. And, you know, he's the most bad one. And he wears black. He destroys planets, the Death Star. You know, it's easy to spot. He's a bad guy, you know? And it's easy to track, right? Because, you know, it's like the good guys wear white, bad guys wear black. Good guys do good guy stuff that, you know, tracks with, like, fairy tales. Uh, bad guys look like bad guys, and they do bad guy stuff that tracks with fairy tales. Easy, right? Uh, and it's a little bit more complicated because they come in the same magic tradition, I suppose. But, you know, still, even, you know, so that's some 70s bullshit. <laughs> some 70s, you know, yoga macrame bullshit. But, you know, you still have essentially this easy dichotomy, like, good and bad, you know? But in the Dark Crystal, like they, they kind of do that, but it's muddy. So the bad guys are really bad, but the good guys are just kind of like nobody. They're they're just kind of part of the landscape, right? So the 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 bad guys are these skexies I mentioned before. So they look like kind of like buzzards or kind of like alligators, I guess. And they and you know they live in this castle and they're mean, and they're really mean. They uh, they they enslave one alien race and. They uh, committed genocide, they wiped out another one, and they, their castle is all black, and they live in darkness, and they're, uh, they snipe at each other, and they fight with each other, and they're always hostile, and they're all sharp-edged, and they look ugly, like they're fucking ugly. And then the good guys, uh, the good counterpart to them are called the Mystics, or, some, or Uru, or something like that, and they're just like, they look like Brontosauruses. 
they're just but they're just kind of like furniture really so they're like lumpy slow moving lizard monsters where you know that's very whereas the bad guys are also like ugly lizard monsters they don't move too fast either and the mystics are hunched over they dress in earth tones and live in dark caves so the visually there's not a much of a contrast between them and the skexies because they the skexies like wear fancier clothes i guess but their clothes are also nasty and dirty so it takes on a similar kind of grain grainy look that the um good guys have and so just like there's visually there's nothing to cue us in to clue us in to the difference right but also kind of good ones unlike the good jedi they don't do anything they they do stuff at the end of the movie but throughout the rest of the movie they they send this one guy on a quest who's from another race right and he's kind of like the hero of the movie um and he kind of doesn't do jack shit through the whole movie he does he does one thing that's helpful which is he plays the flute <laughs> I'll, talk, I'll talk more about this later but again it's just a poorly told story a poorly conceived and poorly told story you know so but these guys they you know they're, they're they don't do anything heroic they're just sort of they're like rocks and stuff i read something like they're the description of these characters these races when i was reading you know about like from interviews and it's like they're just supposed to be kind of passive but they're sort of tied to the earth this old magic so at the beginning of the movie there's this incredibly gobbledygook narration it's so it's really long really off-putting and boring and but it, but and it's hard to pay attention to because it sucks it sucks and it's boring. I mean, it's like visually, it's a, it's striking, and you're like, "Whoa, what the fuck is this?" But this narration comes in, and it lays out um, this whole world and this all the conflict for you in the most boring, uh, just off-putting way possible. And they kind of lay out this conflict, and they kind of explain what's going on with these two races and whatever. But I didn't realize that, you know. And again, this is I've watched this movie more or less twice in the last. Um, last two or three days. Alright, so the Skeksis are hunched over and they wear bolder colors, but they live in a dark castle, so they're as visually muted as the mystics. And as the story unfolds, there are more and more clues that the mystics and the uh, Skeksis are connected, right? So like when when you see like a Skeksis die, whenever a Skeksis die, like, I don't know the singular of that, when a Skeksi, when a Skeksis dies, another, a mystic will die too, right? So it's sort of like this, this mirror image, but it's, but like mirror image Thing about mirror images, like in, in <laughs> all right, it's pedantic, all right. But mirror, the mirror image is a reversal. Can we all know that? You know, like you're if you move your right hand in a mirror, you know, if you move your right hand, they, your reflection is going to move. It look like it's moving to the left hand. That's the whole point of a mirror image is that there's this contrast. There's no contrast between these two races. Even they're, they're supposed to have this contrast. You know, and again, it's sort of like it seems like they're trying to do Jedi. But they don't understand the Jedi, even though it seems like they didn't understand the most obvious part of the Jedi. Okay? And now, so that's just like visually. Now, um, morally, all right, so the Skeksis are really bad, all right? Like I said, they enslave one alien race and they wipe out another. But the mystics aren't as good as the Skeksis are bad. By, you know, best case scenario, they're kind of neutral. And they don't really do anything until the end of the story. They slowly journey to the Skeksis castle, and they're they're non-players in the story, until until like basically the the climax of the movie, where they slowly get there and they do this ceremony. They merge with the Skeksis. They become one of the Skeksis, and they become beings of pure light. And it's weird and it's jarring, 
Because it's like, wait, we're in... Okay, so the Skeksis now joined with the other guys. The bad guys and the good guys are now the same thing. And then these, like, ghost, alien, angel, whatever, monsters. Um, beings of pure light. And they seem to be wise and all-powerful. And, and now there's balance to whatever their thing was. Uh, I want to say the Force, but, you know, because that's what they say over and over in Star Wars. Must be balanced to the full sloop, you know, whatever. Which, all right. So they bring balance to their force. But it's also like, didn't these guys just commit genocide? Like, that's a big plot point of this movie. And didn't they have slaves? Like, there are plenty of slaves all over. And didn't, don't we see them, like, killing people and, you know, whatever. Like, they're brutal, awful dictators. But now they get to be beings of pure light without ever, like, saying, we're sorry. Hey, sorry, our bad. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, yeah, yeah. Hey, buddy, here, you know, let's do an out-of-court settlement or whatever. Which is weird. And, all right, so if I were a conspiracy theorist, all right, and I, and I wanted to suspect this movie of hiding in plain sight and doing some weird shit, I'd say probably that that, that would be something, this moral, weird moral thing. That would be something. Like, you know, like that all you got to do is be enlightened. You don't have to make any amends. <laughs> so, yeah, if you're, on, if you're on Epstein's island, you know, if you're like Larry Summers and you hung out with fucking Jeffrey Epstein, you know, you don't have to say you're sorry or do anything different or, or make anything better. All you got to do is just like find this wisdom and, uh, you know, you can want, you know, ascend and evolve, whatever. So I'd be mad about that, but that's what the conspiracy, that's not some of the conspiracy theorists have, uh, that's my thing, not theirs. But all of this, I don't think this is evidence of, um, conspiracy stuff. I don't think this is evidence of, like, Jim Henson <laughs> trying to make a mind-control movie, all right? Uh, I think it's just evidence that uh, he they didn't think their story through very well. And it's, it's a weird, ugly movie, and it's hard to watch. But like I said, I watched it twice. And the reason why I watched it twice was because I watched the original version, and I was just kind of like, I read this blind item, and I went and watched the movie. And I was just like, oh, man. Because it's visually striking. It's a real visual spectacle of a movie, and there's no other movie like it. There's all this puppet shit and all this weird design, and it's ugly as fuck, but in a, in a bracing and interesting way. Uh, and the story is kind of, like, elusive in the sense that um, there's nothing... It seems like they keep telling you that it's really urgent. Like, the dialogue keeps telling you how urgent the story is, but then everything else is screaming... Everything else in the movie is screaming at you that... There's no urgency. <laughs> it's like, oh, la-di-da, da-di-da. You know, here's this pastoral scene. Oh, let's watch this. You never see, like, anybody running. <laughs> well, you see, at some point, you see, like, uh, characters, like, riding something that goes fast. And that's it. And that just seems to be a coincidence. But you never see, like, like the main guy, is, his name is Jen, which is funny, too. It's a girl's name. Um, <laughs> it's Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> Uh, so you see Jen, um, Jen is trying to get from one place to another. Well, first trying to get and find this crystal shard for whatever bullshit reason. I think he's supposed to bring this crystal shard to the dark crystals. Who, but he never like seems like he's in that much of a rush. <laughs> he just seems like, oh, uh, you know, whatever. Um, he meets up with this girl, um, Kira, I think is her name. And she's, it's funny. I don't think they did this on purpose. But, like, Kira is so much more competent, and she does so much more stuff, like hero stuff, than Jen does, right? Uh, 
and I don't think the filmmakers realize this necessarily. Like it doesn't, you know, I think they're just like, okay, go to bring in a girl and they're, they're going to team up and whatever. But it's like, it's like Kurt Russell in uh, Big Trouble in Little China. It's like, you realize, oh, the, the person who's supposed to be the hero of this movie hasn't done anything. He's just kind of, the idea is that he was raised by these, um, these good guy, uh, philosopher, mystic guys, you know, the, the good Jedi that suck, the good Jedi brought to Soros's. And so they taught him to read. So he reads something and they taught him how to play a flute. So at one point he plays a flute and he's, uh, and he's able to pick out the right shard. And then he's, then later he sees a, a prophecy written on a wall, but they already told him about the prophecy. And we've already heard about the prophecy like four times in the movie by the time that he gets there. So that's not helpful. <laughs> so, so he doesn't do anything to really to advance the plot. Except then this girl shows up and she can talk to animals and she's in touch with nature. And so she, you know, gets animals to help them. And then it turns out that she has wings uh, at a point where they're, to, they're cornered by monsters and have to jump off a cliff. It turns out she has butterfly wings. And it's very funny because that only happens once. It only happens late in the movie. <laughs> you're like, you're like I, I probably would have come in helpful <laughs> a lot earlier. But yeah, so... But they're puppets, right? So the whole movie is all puppets. There's not a single human being in the movie. As a quick aside, I also... Because he mentions Labyrinth and the Blind Item, so I started to watch that. And that's more... It's less weird. It's more sort of... Because Bowie's in it. And I gotta say, I didn't love Labyrinth. Um, found it to be really tough to watch. Because I, I found, like... I think I just don't like Jim Henson's stuff, man. Because it's like, you watch it, and every single thing is... Like, you have the person go up to meet some ugly-looking creature, and then the ugly-looking creature speaks in riddles, and and nothing happens. So there's, like, this exposition that you're supposed to get, or this information about what's supposed to happen in the story, and this, the whole every scene is, like, this teasing, like, like no, you're not going to get that! No, I'm not going to tell you what you want to know! Da-da-da-da-da! Which is kind of okay, I guess, but... You know, you don't have to tell me everything, you know, like you're not an encyclopedia <laughs> you to bullet point me the whole story or whatever. But it's like, but what they do instead is not, is annoying and it's not entertaining. So that's one thing. It's like, it's always like this Alice in Wonderland, Cheshire Cat conversation. I guess every scene in both the Dark Crystal and, um, and the Labyrinth, you know, like they show up and it's like, a magic door knocker that can talk. And it's like, oh, are you the door to go the right way? Oh, I can't tell you that. But blah, 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 blah. And none of it's funny or entertaining or well done. And it's like, all right, so she's going to go through one of these doors. All right, what's the next scene? How to just stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Just get there. Go, 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 go. And, and it never does. And so it's so frustrating to watch. And I got to say, it's, I love David Bowie. David Bowie's my dude. He's not great in this movie. Everybody acts like he is. He's terrible in this fucking movie. He's annoying. It's like not a great performance. His music fucking sucks in it. It, it was disheartening. <laughs> he does have one cool thing where he like juggles some um, glass balls. That's the best part of Labyrinth uh, by far when he juggles those glass balls. And um, oh, the other thing, so like I noticed, like there's a thing where she this the girl falls in a pit and all these hands are around her and the hands start talking and the hands like form like um into faces and they start talking to her and for a second it was a cool effect i was like wow that's interesting it's a visually interesting thing and then they go to that bullshit riddle stuff and i was like oh, okay I'm, now i'm checked out and also it keeps going on for like l way longer 
<laughs> I was interested in. And I realized, like, oh, well, why is this so slow? And why is every scene so slow here? It's like, oh, because it's all puppets. It's all, like, puppets and, um, and these practical effects, you know. And so everything takes, like, an enormous amount of setup. Like, just to get a... You, like, it's a Herculean uh, engineering feat to get uh, the main character of The Dark Crystal to walk across a room. To walk. Because he's a puppet, right? So, you know, just to get him to walk across the room at a medium pace. It, it requires 60 people and a million dollars and, like, charts and graphs and whatever. And so, every you know, everything is, like, so much effort goes into all these setups. And so then, you know, it's all set pieces. So they try to, like... So once they have this stuff set up, you're stuck in it as an audience member. And if you're not engaged with it, you're just fucked. Because it's not going to go anywhere. Um, and again, like... And that's, that'd be fine, too. I like visual stuff. I mean, I like visual storytelling. That's the, the cornerstone of cinema, you know? But, you know, you got to tell a story. Or, or you got to do something. I have some kind of information that's compelling. And you can't just always have it be this, uh, this thwarting of the audience's desire for exposition and just have it be irritating. You know, it sucks. So anyway, but anyway, uh, I'm not going to get too deep into labyrinth other than what I just said, because it's not as, um, there's not as much there, honestly, it's kind of straightforward and it's a lot of dumb jokes. Um, and I guess you could have some heated conspiracy interest in it, but it's not as uh, interesting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So the, the accusation, the accusation about um, uh, Dark Crystal the, is that it's about mind control, right? And it's trying to condition people to mind control. And so this is a weird thing. It's kind of it kind of is. It kind of is about mind control, but a hundred percent not in the way that conspiracy theory people believe. It's not about this kind of MK Ultra trying to turn us into you know compliant sheep sheeple <laughs> it's a different mind control this is public information this is something jim henson said and was quoted on and everybody around him making the movie repeated this and this is true if you go to the fucking wikipedia page of the dark crystal uh the multiple quotes about this the dark crystal was not based on a book not be but it was based on like it wasn't like an old fairy tale or even like a book from the 60s about like the dark crystal or anything like that. It was, um, but it was, there was some sort of source material, which was, and the source material uh, was, um, this is from the screenwriter, quote, the spiritual kernel of the Dark Crystal is heavily influenced by Seth. It's interesting. Hey, what's Seth? All right. Okay. So this is later in the Wikipedia. <laughs> Most of the philosophical undertones of the films are inspired from Jane Roberts' Seth material. Okay. So, hey, what's Seth material? All right, so now we're going to jump over to 2019 uh, New York Times story that's called um, Until Seth Do Us Part. So, this is from that story. Jane Roberts began channeling a spirit from another dimension. She called him simply Seth. He brought arcane wisdom from afar on astral projection, past lives, and the power of the mind to bend and shape reality. Miss Roberts published more than 20 books based on these supposedly spirit-channeled revelations. They sold millions and spurred a full-on spiritual movement in 84 and she died 
at the age of 55. And now I'm jumping ahead in the story. This is about Jane Roberts and her husband. The couple moved to Elmira for work and found an apartment in an old converted mansion. Miss Roberts saw some success as a pulp fantasy writer, but the work left her empty. In, early in the early 1960s, she reported strange experiences in the new home. There were dreams and visionary flashes. And then one night, sitting at her desk, she felt reality rip apart. Her soul seemed to leave her body and plummet through space. Her skull was like a radio receiver, as if something or someone was sending transmissions. Maybe, she thought afterwards, there was a kernel for a book here. Miss Roberts and her husband didn't fashion themselves as hippies, but they decided to dig deeper with a Ouija board. They claimed results almost immediately. You may call me whatever you choose, the board, spell, the board spelled as they gathered around it one night. I called myself Seth, S-E-T-H. Soon, Miss Roberts believed she could hear the spirit's words right in her head. With the Ouija board cast aside, she would drop into a trance. Her voice would deepen. Words tumbled with a lilting, hard-to-place accent. Seth had arrived. By the late 1960s, Miss Roberts started offering small psychic classes and public channeling sessions in her living room. Students would pay a small fee and crowd in. Seth lived among cavemen. He was a biblical courtesan, a corrupt pope named Protonius Megalomanius III. Seth was, had been men, and he had been women. He said, I always found my desk highly educational. Seth was reputed to perform per paranormal feats. Above all, Seth's favorite topic was the miraculous power of thoughts to shape reality. If you believe it, it is so. We create our own worlds. No one dies who has not decided to do so, he said. You make your own reality. Seth told students they could contact their own spirit guides just like him. He suggested he might visit them too when the time was right. All right, back to me. <laughs> so that's Seth. Oh, so there are 20 books of Seth, right? Like this lady talking, channeling Seth. All right, let me lay my cards on the table for a second. This is just, okay, either this lady was like schizophrenic or she was just like a con man, you know, a flim flam artist. One of those two things, okay? Jim Henson was really into it and he would carry around some Seth books with him all the time. And when they were writing the Dark Crystal, <laughs> He insisted that the screenwriter read these books, right? And I'm, I'm also pretty sure that this is uh, parodied in Doonesbury. I think there's a, a female character who would like channel somebody and then, you know, like whatever. So, so Jim Henson, he bought this shit. He bought this shit hook, line, and sinker. And then he insisted that when they wrote The Dark Crystal that he... Um, all these, some of these Seth things get in there. The ideas, the concepts are from Seth. All right. And so, so that, so it seems like there are like 20 books and the critical thing is that reality doesn't exist and we all shape our own realities, right? That seems to be the thing that, that gets said the most about Seth. I'm just, there's 20 books. There's probably a lot of different weird things. There's probably a lot of different weird stuff in there. But the main thing is like, so we all, um, we create our own realities Okay, so you're like, whatever, that just seems like, you know, maybe it's kind of this whimsical, artistic, uh, hippie, la-da-da. We create our own realities, I don't know. But it also seems like if, if it comes into contact with narcissists, it would just be a recipe for disaster. And indeed it has, because that was a major influence on The Secret, uh, that thing from about 10 or 15 years ago, it's like about how you're going to visualize success or whatever. So my point before about how there's a different kind of mind control, because Seth also was involved with like ESP and telekinesis and other bullshit like that, 70s bullshit. So it wasn't about like MK Ultra style conditioning. It was about 
astral projection and past lives and channeling and, you know, creating your own reality. That's kind of mind control that was at the the, the heart of um, Dark Crystal. Yes, this is a, the screenwriter said, Jim admitted he didn't understand the book himself and everybody would understand it or not understand it in their own way. But he thought it opened up a whole different way of looking at reality, which I think is one of his goals in making in the making of the dark crystal. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So in a previous episode of cinema death cult, uh, the great Jim Kniffle said that one of the marks of great art is like how it can be interpreted in different ways, by different people. Right. But so in this, I think it's true. I agree with him. Right. Uh, but I think if you deliberately make something that you set out to have it have infinite amount of interpretations, then you're not really making anything at all. You're just making like furniture. You make the furniture that people can't sit on, you know, just sort of like, you're not making if you're not making any kind of intentional statement with art. It's like, you're, you're, you're just sort of doing an exercise. You're playing, you know, at, you want to have some kind of intentionality to all of it. And then, it, then once it, you know, if it's really transcendent, you know, then it's going to be open to different interpretations. All right. Uh, so yeah, it's a bad movie. So I think that the, that, I don't think that NT and uh, the blind Adam was wrong entirely. I think there's some weird stuff in this movie and I think you can kind of hang a lot of weird shit on it. And I, you know, like I demonstrated before, I, I found weird shit to hang on it. Oh, oh yeah. This is the other big thing I want to talk about. So yeah, the gobbledyuk narration that uh, opens up the movie. So there's a second version of this movie um, that you can watch and I'll link to this one. How about, doesn't get taken down uh, by publicizing it, I guess. But, you know, I don't think my audience is big enough for that to be a problem. Um, so there's a version that came out of The Dark Crystal. When it, the movie originally, uh, in the beginning, it didn't have this narration that I called gobbledygook before. They, they just open it up and you're in this weird, jarring, ugly alien world and this stuff happened and you're kind of supposed to piece it together in the audience, right? Which is kind of cool you know uh and a different soundtrack and actually there's a bunch of irritating um alien dialogue where things are happening on screen that don't really need a lot of explanation and first you have this like annoying narration this like plotting tendentious uh (laughs) narration like and then in this age of wisdom you kind of you know, I'm just trying to, like, smell the bad breath. It's, like, emanating from you. It's, like, all this uh, backstory. You're like, oh, fuck. This is so stupid. And then, <laughs> and then like, um, the dialogue comes in, and everything that you see happening, like, it, with the bad aliens, bad monster aliens, like, they start doing this dialogue that just spells it all out. And you've already, ha- you know, you already have that stupid narration. Then you have, like, you can kind of piece together what's going on visually, and then you yeah, have the, the dialogue. And so it gets over-explained to you. And it just feels like it takes forever. You feel like you're stuck in this moment watching this fucking movie. It's like, you're just telling me what's happening. And you're not giving me any space to think whatsoever. Or or to put make any... My brain is nowhere to go right now. Zero place to go. It's like, oh, there's this weird shit. Weird visual stuff happening in front of my eyes. And nothing else. I can't... I, I don't know where to go. Nothing to think about. Nothing to do. You know. Um, and, but there's, but so originally they didn't make the movie like that. They, they made the movie without that narration. They made that movie without that dialogue. And 
um, but then they put it in front of audiences, and audiences didn't like it, and so then they <laughs> inserted this narration, and they started this dialogue. But really, the truth is that people are never going to like this movie because it's ugly. <laughs> it's ugly, and it kind of sucks. <laughs> so whether you have whether you have the narration, the dial, the narration doesn't fix anything. It makes it far worse, actually. And I, because I, and how do I know that? What a question. How do I know that it makes it worse? Because I A/B tested this. There's a second version that um, somebody in like 2013 or so put on the internet. They found some um, work print of the movie, the original version of the movie where it had the original music and the original sounds because originally like these evil aliens in the early in the early scenes they didn't speak in english they spoke in like alien language you know and and it does suck honestly it's still not good it doesn't ever like kind of click over to the point where it's good but it's it um it's much better much better than hearing them go oh the emperor is dead oh you must bow and just having every single thing on the screen fucking explained to you uh and so the uh, so you can still find this this 2013 fan-made edit that's based on the work print the original work print and it's far better it's far better and um, like it's funny to watch because uh it's from a vhs transfer and so like the the, the visuals and the sound is a little wonky and it does like that that thing where like um uh the sound like the tape you know gets off like the get, tape gets warped so the sound's like the kind of seasick thing which i kind of love honestly like i, I heard that sound and i'm like oh, i, I want to <laughs> i downloaded the i downloaded the entire video so i could sample that those parts for a, a song <laughs> that's that's how much I like that, and um, and so yes, yeah, so it's an it's just a much better movie. I was stunned. Like I I watched the movie twice in the space of like thirty six hours because I found this better version of it, like the the better version, the theatrical release version of it, and and it's it's not perfect by any means. But all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is kind of more elusive, and there's more space, and you're not telling me everything, and that stupid narration is not there and I can kind of, and because the stupid narration kind of really foregrounds a lot of the stupid ideas of the movie. And without it, you're just kind of like guessing at what's happening and it's more, and your brain will come up with better, more interesting shit, you know, which is cool uh, in a way. Cause you're like, then later, then, then it becomes something you can reinterpret in a fun way instead of like going into it as Jim Henson did deliberately, um, vague and like everybody can deliberately like everybody can make their own reality with it or whatever uh and so uh, yeah i'll link to that why not fuck it you know fuck the cops <laughs> well, i guess they also the, the jim henson company scrubbed that from the internet like if originally it was on youtube and everywhere and you can find like articles and like fairly you know mainstream publications around that time talking about it and um they're uh and then the Jim and it became it was a, it's a better version of the movie. It's like much better. It's, it's five times the movie that the that the one that's you can watch legally is. Um, and so, you know, I don't know why they wouldn't just re-release that, clean it up a little bit, and and get it out there to the world. And you know, because then all of a sudden people are interested in it and they want to watch it again. Uh, oh yeah, also just like the the. The Netflix show, because now it's all puppets and stuff, but now it's like they have computers. 
<laughs> they have computers now. <laughs> you know, they, they they very wisely are mixing computers and puppeteering. And so that means things can actually like go fast a little bit. And also, uh, they're, they tone down a lot of the annoying shit from the movie. Um, like there, there's some characters in the movie, the original one, there's like, they show up and I, I, I was like, is this supposed to be funny? Like there's this woman, it's supposed to be like a, a psychic or an astronomer, yeah, an astronomer, psychic, seer kind of oracle person. And she has one eye and she like, oh, you, and, and this is where I realized like that I'm, I'm never going to like Jim Henson stuff. It makes sense in a, in Sesame street. Like, as you know, like you have a, in a little sketch, you have somebody show up somewhere and they're like, oh, hey, I'm lost. You need to get out. It's like, well, first you got to do some math. <laughs> you know, it makes sense. You know, that, but then when that happens in a movie, it's like, oh, you know, you don't know anything. Well, I'm not going to do, we don't have time to tell you anything. I can't really give you any information, but here we are in this place. <laughs> oh, so bad. I hate it so fucking much. But yeah, so, um, but then in the TV show, they realize how annoying that is. And so like that character in the the characters in the movie, the same characters on the TV show, and I'm like, oh, she's so much better on this. Like she's somebody realized that they can smooth out, sand out some some edges to it and um, make it better. So I haven't watched the whole TV show, but I thought it was pretty good. Didn't think it was bad. Uh, I'm hoping there's a lot of adrenochrome. <laughs> that's, the, that's the coolest part. <laughs> All right, y'all. Uh, you know, thanks for hanging in. Bye.